All right. Welcome back. Episode 38 of the Young Old Heads podcast. Damn, that's a crazy. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Tommy, aka TV Sports Cards, and I'm here with my good friend and co-host, Max, aka Cards Max, aka Cards Max Premium Edition. Premium Stock Edition? Premium Stock Edition. Max, how are you doing? Doing well. I'm hoping I soon become a Sonic Edition. Maybe I can up my mile time a little bit. But for now, I'll stick with premium stock. I almost went with a cosmic mystery panini points pack, Max, but I decided that I'll save that one for next week. Intergalactic. Uh, intergalactic. Max, we're uh, joined this week by a very special guest. A uh, You might know him from Twitter um, as you know one of the best vintage baseball collectors out there. Uh, always posting some cool cards and has been a longtime listener of the podcast. Um, but we're here this week joined by Hayden, a.k.a. Spincinnati, a.k.a. Throwing Ched. Which yes. one are you going with? Spincinnati. Spincinnati? Yeah. Uh, um, thanks thanks up, for coming on. Yeah, of course. Uh, do you want to give the people just a, a quick explanation where they can find you on social media and kind of what your, what your card uh, accounts are? Yeah, so uh, on Twitter, um, my at is at Throwing Ched. Uh, my name is uh, Spincinnati Cards on there um, as a homage to uh, the Cincinnati Reds and uh, throwing a lot of sliders. That's nice. where that came from. Um, nice, nice. Throwing a lot of breaking balls. Um, and uh, on Instagram, I don't have a card Instagram, but my personal, uh, if you guys want to go on there, is at Hayden WS. Cool. And uh, Hayden, you're very special. You're a special guest because you actually, as me and me and Max figured out before, Someone has submitted a card of Hayden to Comsi and is now listed live in the platform. So if you want to look up what Hayden's card looks like, he got he got one live on Comsi. You can get it. Uh, you can buy it and have it sent to your vault. But uh, Hayden, you uh, are actually someone who throws Ched, which is rare for card Instagram. Max Max did his explanation for his cards Max name originally. Max, do you want to do that real quick for everyone? Well, how you ended up with your cards Max name? Um, I forgot how, what my explanation was, but I think it was a, it was supposed to be a, just a temporary name. Cause it's like, Oh, cards, Max, that's my name. I mean, my name's Max. My name's not cards. Um, and then, Oh, I'll replace it with some brand or something like that. But okay. This is at least very specific to this niche of cardboard. So cards, Max works. <laughs> it just remained permanent. Nice. Well, Hayden, your name actually is literal as well. You do throw Ched professionally. Um, very legitimate Ched being thrown. Uh, do you want to give the people kind of just a story on how you got into card collecting? Like, when did you start? Yeah, yeah. So um, I actually started when I was a kid. Um, so I want to say, like, thinking back, I was probably six or seven years old, um, opening packs of opening day, Topps flagship, all that stuff. Um, and that probably went on. I, I kind of, looking back, I was collecting for maybe – five or six years up until maybe around like middle school ish. And then I remember I got out of it in high school and college for the most part. Um, and then it was a while. And then uh, like a lot of people, uh, 2020 pandemic, people were home. I was like, you know what, I'm going to bust out the cards. Um, and then right when I, I remember opening that first binder, I was like, wow, this is, you know, this is sick. Went on eBay, started looking at cards. Um, and got hooked right after that, right back into it. Nice. What uh, what years are you talking about here? Just to give our listeners a little um, insight. So going back, it took me a while to go back through all of the cards that I had like ripped when I was a kid. Um, they were they were all shoved. Most of them were either in binders or in like a those plastic like three storage bins, um, just raw like thrown in there. Um, and after going back, I realized that the product I probably ripped most was 2006, 2007 and 2008 tops. Um, and then, and then there were a few, like I got, I would get boxes for Christmas sometimes. Um, mostly like, uh, so I collected like the old, like hall of famers, even when I was a kid. So I was ripping like 2008 Don Russ heroes, um, tops fan favorites, any uh, of those products where the checklist was just all Hall of Famers, that was what I liked to rip as a kid too. Yeah. Did you uh did you ever rip that upper deck Hall of Fame product that they made that one year? That's like I the think kind so, of, yeah. That, that's, that's like a, familiar too. Yeah. I see that a lot on like 
Mitch's stack sales when he's doing like the 25 yeah. cent cards. And I'm like, oh, I ripped that from like Sports Authority. Yeah. Mac Max, did you, uh, what were you do, Max, when you were ripping growing up and you would get like an insert of a Hall of Famer? Was that like a cool card to you or was that like a toss? Um, in as little of a self-deprecating way as possible, my baseball IQ was not high enough to recognize many others outside of Alex Rodriguez, Derek Jeter, uh, Robinson Cano, and the Mickey Mantle insert cards from 2008. That makes sense. Although I did enjoy following Barry Bonds' home run chase. That was it. Oh six, I think that was that one. Yeah. That was a good one. Yep. I feel like I feel like in modern collecting, there's a big tension between people who are collecting these like Hall of Famers, or like, and they have the modern cards of them when they're like inserted into like a 2022 set, mm -hmm. like as like a Willie Mays. I feel like that's kind of like controversial. Some people think they're cool. Some people don't. It I'm, is. Yeah. I've noticed that for sure. Do you, I feel like most vintage collectors like shy away heavy from collecting anything like that. But I personally think they're kind of cool. I don't know. Yeah, and, I'm, and I noticed, noticed that Prism has started doing it too um, oh, yeah. in, in basketball and football as well. Um, yeah. I don't, I, I'm, I'm not, I don't mind it. Um, you know, if there's a cool numbered parallel of, of Willie Mays with a cool photo on it, um, you know, I'll pick it up. But um, yeah, I'd rather stick to the older stuff now that, you know, I have the means to do so. <laughs> yeah, I feel like the only, the thing that major plays against that is like the sps like i feel like ssps like the jackie robinson SSPs, I do yeah those, those are great hit. yeah those hit those hit max do you have do you ever buy anything like that or no um not really the stuff of retired players um or you know all-time greats i do respect the interest in like you know the parallels for like the post playing career cards but otherwise i try not to focus on that i guess hayden what do you think like i know as of now you're very focused into vintage or at the very least very focused relative to other people our age mm -hmm. what do you think developed that focus um so for me it was a product of one growing up and collecting those uh those sets of the of just all hall of famers um it started in normally I wouldn't have had that background knowledge, but uh, looking back in, in like leading up to this episode, I, I really had to think and I was like, oh yeah, I remember watching um, Ken Burns baseball documentaries. I don't, I don't know if you guys have followed that, but um, oh, yeah. I watched those probably two or three times through as a kid. Um, and that's kind of how I got this whole like background in baseball history. Um, I found out I shared a birthday with Willie Mays, which is cool. Um, that is cool. So, yeah, I mean, I've always kind of been connected in that way. And then once I kind of got back into the hobby, um, vintage started. It wasn't right away. Um, one, I didn't, I couldn't afford a lot of the cards that I wanted. And two, um, I did like, I did have fun like doing some modern baseball um, stuff like that. But uh, the vintage started for me when um, I had to go play in 2021. So for season, I leave for like five, six months and I, you know, I'm traveling, I'm going on bus trips, you know, I, I don't, I'm going between hotels, I don't want to have any cards with me. Um, so kind of for that time during season, I kind of have to take a break on collecting wheel and dealing all that stuff. So the first season I, I was holding these modern cards, and I was watching auctions pop up, and they were just every auction, it was they were getting crushed, or something would happen. And I was like, you know, this is not ideal, like, I need to be getting out of these cards, like selling, trading and whatever. And I couldn't do it. Um, so I learned and I realized that I needed to get into something a little more stable, something that I could hold on to. Um, and that's when I started my process of consolidating and trading slash buying uh, vintage. Nice. Uh, did you, so were you, did you find any gems when you were going through your old cards or was this more of like, oh dang, I just have a bunch of base opening day. Yeah. Cool. Um, you know, I, I sent it to you the other day. I'm trying to think outside of like a few, I pulled some cool like Hall of Famer autos out of those like fan favorites boxes back in the day because you got like two guaranteed on-card Hall of Famer autos. Um, nothing crazy like a Monty Irvin, which is a cool card. Um, outside of that, I think the best pull I think I found out of that was a couple like a bunch of Joey Votto rookies, um, one gold foil that I just got back from PSA. Not an expensive card by any means, but um, it is special to me because out of all those cards that I ripped, there was nothing 
you know, remotely to being, you know, crazy valuable, um, yeah. which I always thought was funny, but those gold, um, those gold foils are really sneaky. You know, yeah. tops. they're real sneaky. They I, are. Uh, yeah. I one time sold one on Twitter because I ripped a bunch of 08 tops growing up mm-hmm. too. And I sold a gold foil on Twitter when I first got back into collecting and I didn't know it was a gold foil. And the guy ended up getting it in the mail. I was like, Hey dude, like this is a gold foil. Like I'm just going to send this back to you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so shout out that guy. Um, but I was totally a baseball history head growing up too, Hayden. Like I memorized all the world series winners when I was like in second grade. Cause wow. I just was just a little nerd and I would just like read this book over and over again. Now, I mean, when half the answers are the Yankees, it's not that hard to do that, but um, a easier. Yeah. Uh, when I was a senior in high school, though, my one anecdote about Ken Burns documentaries, when I was a senior in high school, there was a class that was only available to seniors. And it was baseball in American history. And the whole class, the whole entire class was just we would show up for 45 minutes on Mondays. And we it was a once a week class. And we just watched Ken Burns, doc, the, that one Ken's Bird baseball documentary. And we just watched like a clip of it every single week. And then the test would just be on the documentary. The whole entire curriculum of the entire class was just the documentary. So uh, mad respect to that too. But uh, you, you, we kind of skipped over how you got back into the hobby. So I want to make sure we circle back here. I know like what was the, there's always like a moment for everyone. Like for, for me, it was just like randomly searching baseball cards on Twitter one day and seeing a bunch of sales going on and then kind of uh-huh. just like jumping into the rabbit hole. So like what got you into that rabbit hole in 2020 when you're getting back into it? Um, I would say, I mean, that moment was kind of when I pulled out all those old cards. Um, I spent probably at least a week or two. Um, I cleared off my kitchen table and I was like, all right, how am I going to attack this? And I just decided to throw out these thousands of cards and sort them by team. And so I had 30 stacks on my kitchen table for about two weeks. Um, and I mean, just going through that and, you know, I, a lot of people, um, kind of despise sorting. I enjoy it. Um, it's relaxing to me. I don't, I don't mind it at all. Um, and I just had so much fun going through all these cards, most of them not worth anything, but, um, it kind of just sparked, you know, that love that I remember having, you know, when I was a kid. Um, and then I found, um, I was already on Twitter, Um, And I think what it was, was I um, saw a tweet from like Phil Hughes or something. And I was like, oh, wow, Phil Hughes. Like, I I know Phil Hughes. He collects cards. Like, that's kind of cool. So I started following him. And I think, you know, shortly after that, I was like, because I I wanted to keep things separate from my um, main Twitter. So I made a a card account. And uh, Mm -hmm. this was, I want to say it was like April may maybe 2020 um yes. and you know things kind of just took off from there nice uh max you know phil hughes right not personally i, I know you know he's a great baseball player sometimes he has That's the a, sometimes all, does he have the does he still have the all-time record for best strikeout to walk ratio he does he does yeah damn I did not know that. I know, Max, one time you got into beef with him about Tatis. That's my was, only memory. I remember that. I remember that, too, actually. Just a little jab in the chest. <laughs> oh, man. Well, well, Hayden, you're, uh, intro- you're a new guest for us because me and Max are notoriously not sports analyst- analysts or sports athletes ourselves. We try to keep things as clear and obvious about that as possible. But um, you are a professional athlete, and I want to give you some time here to explain, you know, I feel like as a collector of baseball cards, I'm always interested to hear about actual baseball players who are into collecting cards. So I want to hear your story with that. Um, yeah, so uh, it's kind of a great, like unconventional path to pro baseball. Um, I will keep it pretty short. Um, in high school, I was a small kid. Uh, didn't really get anywhere, um, but I was a good pitcher. Um, and... I went to college and I expected to walk onto the team there because, you know, I, I had confidence and I, and I thought I could. And I ended up not making the team for, I tried out all four years, didn't make the team. Um, Where did you go to school? Uh, San Diego State. Okay, cool. So that's a, that's a huge baseball program, right? If I'm it is, yeah. yeah. And uh, my freshman year was 2013 and Tony Gwynn was still the head coach at the time. Oh, that's awesome. Um, all right, yeah, peace. so... Yeah, RIP. Um, so I, I remember throwing that first bullpen in 2013, and and he was watching it, and 
Um, I finished up at the end and, and I watched all the other guys who were walking on and I was by far, you know, I stuck out among the guys who were at the walk-on tryout and uh, he made a comment to be about, about my hat and my pitching. I was wearing a, a Cubs hat because that was like the scout team I played for as a kid. Mm-hmm. And he was like, he was like, son, you better take that hat off right now. But that was a good bullpen. I liked what you got, what you got. Nice. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll never forget that. But um, I got an email from the assistant coach a couple weeks later saying, yeah, hey, we, we don't have enough spots for you, um, which sucked. Um, but uh, yeah, I did uh, find a way to stay active in college. I started playing Ultimate Frisbee, Oh, nice. um, which is great. Max, um, do you ever play Ultimate Frisbee? I, I played a little bit in college sometimes. Recreationally, but not. Uh, competitively were you an i am god in college max in any sport i know you're a cross-country head no i have i've gotten cooked in my intramural basketball games oh, it was a fun, fun it was a fun experience were you dominant hayden and ultimate or what was your uh what was your you game? know i wasn't dominant it's there's a big learning curve learning that sport and any new sport really it's a you know you got to learn all the rules the the right movements and all that you, it's not something you can just hop into especially when i could barely throw a frisbee backhand let alone me just finding out that you can also throw it flick it you can also throw it forehand and so that took that took a lot of time in its own but um i ended up getting pretty good at it um and it's it's a lot of fun when you're out there um playing with the guys and um, it was a great way to stay active while I wasn't uh, playing baseball for sure. Underrated mm-hmm. sport, and even uh, like the, the the two hand flick. Yes, exactly. Yeah, really difficult because that's just like all muscle. Exactly. Yeah. So it, it takes a lo- long time to be able to learn and control that and throw it for distance and stuff. But um, yeah. is there a professional ultimate? Is that like a th- there is, is that a thing? There I is. See, yeah, I can see a top skin. On underrated, that. and you know the highlights from that. You go watch highlights on your own time. They're insane. Yeah, I gotta. We gotta. I gotta do some research here on the uh, ultimate cards. We'll see who's the goat of ultimate frisbee. That's what oh, we need to figure out. You know, I don't <laughs> even. I don't even know. Um, I know that Brody Smith was a popular name because he does like trick. He used to do trick shots and stuff. I don't know if he still does. I think he plays professionally. I'm not sure. He's kind of like dude perfect or something. For yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. All right. So you weren't playing baseball then in college, no, really? No, I was not, not at all. Not at all. Um, I went back my sophomore year to try out didn't make it junior year, didn't make it senior year, didn't make it. Okay. Um, so, I was, so, what's that? Sorry. I was just going to say, you just, so you didn't, you didn't get discouraged by that though. I, I, I didn't know about that. I mean, I was, did I get discouraged? Not really. Um, I would go home for summer break and I would play in a collegiate like wood bat league with all my buddies who were playing college baseball. Um, and I would throw well in that summer league and all my teammates were like, Hey dude, like, come pitch at my school. Like, we love to have you come, you know, but I was pretty entrenched at San Diego state. I, I loved it there. I was going through getting my business degree. Um, it wasn't worth it to, you know, get up and fly to some D2 school in Kentucky or something like that to, you know, as much as I wanted to play baseball, it just wasn't feasible at the time. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I grew up in Cal, you grew up in California too, Hayden, right? I did. Yeah. And where are you at right now? I'm in Arizona right now. Scottsdale. Okay. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always have this thought. And Max, did you play Little League, Max? I did not. You did not play Little League? I did not play Little League. Bro, come on. Well, uh, I always have this thought. That, I was like, a little nerd. I was in a little sports athlete. I was a little yeah. nerd. You, you were a little Pokemon ahead. A little different no, game. No, I definitely was not that. <laughs> but in California, I always felt like like I thought I was a really good baseball player. And you know, stats can back this up. But like I always thought that once I moved out of California, I was like, damn. The competition that you face playing like youth sports in California is just totally different, and is just at a different level, especially for a sport like baseball, where it's you know you need to be outside and being doing stuff. So, I can that makes sense to me that like you would turn down the idea of going somewhere else to play like D two or D three because, um, I don't know. For me, it's like oh, I, if I would have played high school baseball somewhere in a different state where the competition is a little less, I probably would have like had a bigger ego, thought I could play college, and like wanted to do that. Um, I'm sure you have a lot of people that you've met throughout the years who are kind of like that in some capacity, but, um, what happened after San Diego state? Cause I was on ComC and that card was not a San Diego state card. So I want to hear yeah. what happened next. Um, so I, my senior year, I was pretty, I was pretty bummed out that I didn't make it for the fourth time. 
did I see it coming? I don't know, but I, you know, I had that kind of like that, you know, blind hope that, uh, that it would, you know, happen. Uh, it didn't, I ended up finding a school where I could dual enroll at a local community college. Um, I was all set to graduate with my undergrad in, uh, in marketing. And um, I found out that I could play for this community college team and take like some BS, like nine units, be a student, student athlete. And uh, I pitched there, Grossmont College. Um, shout out 2017 Griffs, California State champs. Hey, you guys um, won California State? Yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah, you guys, you guys beat a uh, San Francisco City College or whatever. That's always the best. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of good powerhouse JUCOs up in uh, up in NorCal. Um, but sure. yeah, we we ran through them. Um, I think Santa Rosa was the best the best school at the time out there. My dad actually played baseball there at Santa Rosa. Oh wow, baseball. really? Yeah, yeah. Right um, my dad. We, <laughs> <clears throat> so we uh, we had a great year um i uh, ended up winning the championship i put up good numbers and that's how i got noticed by some good colleges uh but i had to I, I was getting a lot of phone calls and i had to tell these colleges that i was not a sophomore in junior college i was actually a senior about to get my degree yeah um so my only route to continue baseball was to get go to a grad uh, grad school get a master's degree and pitch there yeah so does that mean uh, that you still have like all your years of eligibility though i do not so i do not um okay. the, the ncaa rule for division one is that when you enroll at a four-year division one university your clock starts so it's a dumb rule but my clock started when i was a freshman at san diego state and so i just burned those four years unknowingly yeah that damn that sucks yeah, it's it's unfortunate, but I think you know I you know I there's a lot of thing, and I wouldn't trade the path that I took for anything. Um, yeah, I I'm thinking of like J.R. Smith playing golf in college. You know, yeah. you've seen that, like, you know yeah. what I'm talking about, Max? Yeah. Like North Carolina A and T, I think. Yeah, North Carolina A and T. So but, it's a different sport. So he can play. I'm 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 pretty sure for four you know four years if he wants oh, to. Oh, so it's like a different sport. Yes, it's by sport too, yeah. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. All right, cool. So what So what happened? You went to, where did you go? Uh, I went to Cal State Northridge. Um, that's Cal State, a, wait, I just want to interject. J.R. Smith did not go to college. He was straight from prep to pro. Oh, damn. All right, that oh, makes more okay. sense. Yeah, so that, that does make a lot of sense too. Okay, okay. gotcha. All right, so Cal State Northridge, you go, whatever. I, I'm not even sure what uh, Matadors. 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 Go Matadors. Matadors. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they offered me a full ride, uh, to get my, uh, master's degree, um, in sports management. Um, and I was very grateful for that. I moved back home. I grew up, uh, 25 minutes away from that school. Um, and I pitched there for a year. We had a great year. I put up some good numbers and, uh, it wasn't good enough to get drafted. I had good numbers, but I was a righty throwing 88 to 89, which isn't going to get you picked up. But you were throwing Chad, you're throwing, uh, what's your, so you got, tell us what your uh, repertoire is. What's your, what are your pitches? What's you, what do you, what are your go-tos? Um, so I come out with a fastball, um, a sinker, a slider and a changeup. All right. So what, and we've, me and you have talked a little bit about this, but like, what are your, who are your OG favorite players from like the, when you, you were starting to collect, like who, who are the inspirations behind, behind um, the game? As a kid, I was definitely a big Jeter and Griffey guy. Um, growing up a Dodgers fan and, and going to games, uh, my favorite player was Sean Green. Um, fuck, <laughs> man, fuck Sean Green. <laughs> Sean Green also showed up in every pack that I opened when I first started collecting. Yeah, he he was everywhere. Max, who was like the first guy that kept showing up in your packs? Do you know? Do you remember? Like, I feel like everyone has a guy when you first start opening packs, he just follows you around. Recently, last year for me, it was like, uh, who is that Royals pitcher who was a rookie? Chris Bubich or whatever that guy. Yeah. He was in every pack I opened for, I swear, like three straight months. And it was like every parallel, everything is just him. Uh, I don't think you understand my collecting origins. Like when I was like, you know, six, seven, eight or so, I was going to the lottery store and I wasn't getting the juiced 2006 retail packs. I was getting the packs that were 100 Yankees or 100 Mets. And I was I just see. getting the 90s cards that players that I never heard of. But hey. My Yankees page in the binder just got that much bigger. 
that's hype. That's actually when I would go to Target with like Target gift cards growing up. That's what I would buy. I would buy like the just here's a thousand baseball cards from the junk wax era because I was like quantity. <laughs> quantity is the move, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's where it's like, well, what even is quality? They're all baseball cards. I didn't know what a parallel was. Yeah. I didn't even think you know cards had a resale value. Even then, I didn't have. Any I had no idea. Yeah. yeah. Did you have like friends, Hayden, that you would collect with growing up, or was this kind of just I, like a solo? I had one friend who um, also collected, and we—he uh, was a Yankee fan, and um, I like I, you know—I was into the retired Hall of Fame players, and so he had a lot of those. And we—I remember swap. We would swap like jersey cards and stuff like that. I remember, but uh, he wasn't as big into it as me, so I was always like trying to like, hey, like, do you want to like? I remember like come over let's let's trade some cards let's hang out yeah. for a little bit but he was like hey man like you're cool and we play baseball together but you know i don't really collect these as, as hard as you do <laughs> yeah that that's tough i i had that for sure growing up that, that yeah. feeling uh i actually max when i was at the cincinnati reds stadium like a couple months ago for a wedding and just walking around that's all they had in the team store was a pack of 100 reds cards for like 10 bucks or something and i was like damn that's tough, especially because one of them had a reprint of the Johnny Bench Rookie Cup card on the front. So if someone like my dad was like, oh, this must be a nice Johnny Bench card. Uh, you should get this one. And I'm like, no, that's a random reprint. So no but, reprints in the Rookie Cup collection. No, no. I, unless depends. I think we can get into that another time. I like the I like the refractor reprints. Those like if the, that's one reprint that I'm OK with is like if it's a chrome refractor version of like a vintage card. Yeah, that's cool. Do you think like that's, oh, is that a hot take? I think Hayden's frozen. Oh no, he's not frozen. No, we're good. I just, you were frozen. No. You were like, we're so good. We're good. But, all right. We've, we've killed the buildup, Hayden. I want to hear, yeah. I want to hear how you got signed. Okay. 27 um, minutes in. Let's, we're 27 let's, minutes. Yeah. So, um, during the pandemic, I posted a video of me. Okay, so CSUN to fast forward a year, I am now throwing Chet. Okay. Um, it was a either go in the gym, get stronger, throw hard or retire. Um, so I gave it a shot. And uh, after a few months of kind of um, getting a little bit bigger, putting on some weight, um, learning kind of cleaner mechanics, um, I hopped in a bullpen and I was sitting 92 to 96, um, topping 97. Um, it was pretty wild because it was a quick transition, but, um, you know, my coaches, my trainers at the time were like, Hey, like you, you know, you can keep playing now. Like we can get you a contract. That's um, so I posted some videos of me on Twitter. Uh, they got retweeted by, um, the pitching ninja, um, if you guys are familiar and uh that kind of took off and i got re approached by a few teams online um one of them being the reds um i got invited out to their spring training this was in this was in early 2020 um and i was getting ready to go out there i was i was stoked i was like this is it this is my chance and uh the pandemic hit i called my contact with the reds and he was like sorry man like every we just had to send everyone home yeah so that didn't work out uh another year goes by and uh now i am at home and i see that uh kyle Bodie, who was just appointed pitching coordinator for the reds was doing an ama on reddit now i'm not a big reddit user by any means but i did have an account um i think it was i would go on reddit for like uh uh, asking questions about like fantasy traits and stuff. I think that's why I had, that's why I had a Reddit. And uh, so I go on and um, I'm in there and this is, this guy is, he founded uh, driveline baseball, a huge company in, in the baseball world. Um, this is not a guy where you can DM him and be like, Hey, what's up, man? Like sign me, you know, like, you know. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to slide through the Twitter DMs. Right. Um, but I figured uh, if I go in this room and I kind of get a gauge for how many people are actually in here, it was supposed to be for Reds fans to like introduce, like he was supposed to, wanted to introduce himself to Reds fans and like yeah. have him ask questions, you know, how does Hunter Green look? How does Nick Lodolo look? You know, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so I go in there and there's like 50 people in there. 
low, low number. I was shocked. Yeah. And I'm just watching and he's answering every single question in there. And I'm like, okay, I guess I, you know, I kind of have to, I kind of got to run this and see what, see what happens. So um, I asked him a couple questions at first to like build up somewhat of a rapport. Um, I knew he was a big meat, meat guy um, into steaks and stuff. So I asked him a question about, about grilling like a four Wagyu beef or something like that. <laughs> you did your research uh, on him. You knew. Uh... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um he answered it really quickly and i was like all right well here you know it's now or never um so i kind of just shot my shot um i wrote out the message it was just saying hey my name's hayden uh these are my pitches i throw this hard they move this much you know horizontal break vertical break spin rate all that stuff um and these were my numbers from my previous year which were pretty good um five minutes later he comments Hey, you know, that's great. Keep going. Send me more video. Here's my email. That's awesome. So that's I insane. Hopped on iMovie. Um, I put together a little highlight reel. I sent it to him. Didn't hear back for three weeks. Uh, crickets. Uh, so I was like, all right, well, I guess he, he saw my stuff and, you know, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a go. Um, the three weeks go by and I get an email from him out of the blue at like one in the morning saying, Hey, Hayden, um, how do you feel? Uh, how does your arm feel? Would you be interested in building up to a starter type role in the next few weeks? In the next few um, weeks? Yeah. Yeah. And I said, <laughs> uh, essentially it's like, Hey, like, uh, what happened was they needed some starters because, uh, some guys got hurt or for whatever reason, and you need time to build up from you know, getting used to throwing one inning or two innings at the end of a game to obviously throwing, you know, 70 to 100 pitches in a game. Yeah. Um, and I mean, even if I wasn't ready, I was going to say that I was ready. <laughs> yeah. But so I emailed him back right away um, saying that, yeah, I was ready to go. I was built up, all that stuff. Like, you know, I'm ready. Um, he hits me back. Hey, have you had any arm surgeries? No. Did you ever get COVID? Um, yes. But years ago, a couple of years ago, um, and after that, he was like, okay, great. You know, we'll be in touch. Two days goes by. Um, I'm out in New Jersey at the time playing uh, independent ball. And I'm scheduled to start uh, opening day for that team. Um, I get a call the night before. And uh, my coach calls me. And he says, hey, Hayden, congrats. Um, your contract just got purchased by the Cincinnati Reds. Um, Shit. That's a good call to get. Yes, it was a great call. Um, it you know it, it was just the product of everything I had been working for um, for a long time. It felt amazing. Called all my family, called my friends, let them know. Um, I talked to a few people in the front office with the Reds. They were happy to have me. Um, I got on a call with Kyle Bodie, um, you know the guy that made it happen. I was endlessly grateful, and we had a good chat. And, uh, you know, they all made me feel welcome. And uh, I was on the first flight to uh, Goodyear, Arizona, the spring training complex, um, the next morning. Um, so do you, do you think that you're the first person ever signed to a minor league contract from Reddit? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty, that's a pretty insane story. And yeah. I, I had to make, we had to make the extremely rare exception to not being a sports analysis podcast to, yeah. uh, to have to let you tell you this, because I mean, that just. <laughs> That's what life's all about. That's like one of the coolest like life stories I think I've heard for any profession of any <laughs> kind. So uh, thanks for uh, giving us the rundown there, Max. Of course. Uh, yeah. Max, I know you didn't know this story until pretty recently. Uh, no, I was just very, it's a very interesting story. And obviously I didn't, I knew bits and pieces of it, but I didn't know the full thing. I knew yeah. the red bit, but yeah, that's, I mean, that's crazy. So okay. what, what, what did being a part of like the Reds minor league organization, what has that done? Tying this back to cards. What, how yes. has being a baseball player impacted like who you target when you're trying to collect or on the other side, I know you sent us some Bowman first, like prospecting, like what do you, what impacts your decision-making with like your collecting with playing? Okay. Yeah. So yeah, let's tie this back to cards here. I would say that um, the overwhelming majority um, 99% of minor leaguers don't really collect at all. Very small number. Um, 
but what it helped me and understand was that these guys that everyone invests thousands and thousands of dollars into in their gold autos, their blue autos, you know, all that stuff, they're just, they're just guys. They are people and, you know, they are extremely talented at baseball. Um, but it's crazy, you know, just like me having the background and understanding like, oh, like, you know, there's like, I became friends with Ellie and he's just like, he was this 18 or 19 year old kid. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like people are paying half a bill for J- Jason, yeah. Jason Dominguez. Yeah. And, he's like 17, yeah. 18. And seeing these guys on the field, like play. Um, like they are, you know, you can tell that they're, you know, they're a level above kind of, um, on the field, but just off the field, it's, it's, it's funny, you know, talking to them in BP or, you know, just outside in the clubhouse, like they're just regular people and (laughs) they have, you know, they go home and, and, you know, they have the same, you know, normal issues that we all have. They just go out there and they hit balls 500 feet and and steal bags and all that. Um, but, uh. Yeah, it did. It did help me in a sense that um, when I did get called up to go play in the Florida State League, um, I was able to pitch against some uh, definitely high-level players. Um, I did throw against Jordan Walker, hobby favorite uh, Bowman a hot, uh, yeah, Chrome target. Is he Cardinals Cardinals prospect. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's a big. Uh, he I see his name all over the place. Yeah. Um, so him and Mason Wynn were on, were on a team together. Um, I did, I had Jordan Walker O two, and this is when I knew he was, he was legit. I had him O two. I think I go fastball up, swing and miss, uh, slider away, swing and miss. And I was like, okay, like I'm going to strike out Jordan Walker and then post about it on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, obviously. Um, and, uh, I, I got ahead of myself. I, I, uh, I go, Two two more sliders. He spits on him. He great takes, big league takes from him. Um, and then I think I try to go fastball and he fouls it off and counts full now. And I'm gonna go. I go full count slider again. And I'm, this is the one he's gonna swing through this. Um, and uh, I just had to make sure it was gonna be out of the zone because if it's in the zone, he's you know he's gonna crush it. Uh, it's out of the zone. He sticks his ass out throws the bat like a fishing pole and somehow hits a rocket down the right field line into the, into the corner uh, for a stand up double. And I was yeah. like, Holy shit, this kid is 19. And that was an absolute missile on a pitch that he had no business hitting. So um, how and- kosher, how kosher is it for you to be like, Oh, I'm going to go buy one of your Bowman first autos after that. That was a nice hit. <laughs> That's not kosher. <laughs> Not kosher. Um, no, me and the, and collecting, it didn't come up too much on the field. Uh, but I did go home and in the next couple of days buy uh, some, I, I remember buying a blue auto and some color of nice. him. Nice. Uh, so, so it did impact your, your actual oh, first hand yeah. experience pitching yeah. impacts your and mind. And that's this cool. was early on. This was early 2021 where he, he was a chase, but not, he, it was way before he, kind of blew up and started putting up crazy numbers um in a ball yeah um so well, yeah i mean it helped me in a sense that i did build up a nice collection of ellie and and walker um before kind of a lot of people were were on them i'm not i ellie know about no, no go ahead max does ellie know about your ellie cards ellie does know about my ellie cards um he does uh he really didn't uh think much of it because he was I remember he, because he doesn't speak English that well, but uh, he did express to me that he does not like signing all of his cards. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Because actually, one of the questions I have is like, how, who, what decides if someone gets a Bowman first auto or like a Bowman first card? If you're in the minors, um, like what's the deciding factor for that? Do you know, Matt? I, or, I, no, I don't no. think there's any like cut and dry like selection process. I think, um, it's just kind of Bowman probably or tops uh, just kind of relegates certain spots to guys who are drafted high and that are like DSL players who have a lot of um, uh, pedigree and have a lot of upside. 
Um, so I don't think there's any sort of process. I think it's more has to do with tops reaching out to agents and being like, Hey, we can provide X, Y, and Z players who were drafted in the rounds one through five, three or five or whatever. It may uh, be. That, that makes sense. Max, do you know like what products I know like prospects come out in waves in terms of like Bowman Chrome is usually what international signings, right? Bowman Chrome I- is usually the J2, it's July 2. Now it's January 15th or so, or J15, whatever. Um, Bowman Chrome is the top international prospects from usually the year before because mm-hmm. and once they're signed at 16, they usually don't play that season. Then they play the next season. And then once they have a full year of stats, then they're in Bowman Chrome. So okay. that's for most of the international guys. And then Bowman Draft is the recently picked draftees. Um, it used to be that this, I think the second and the 30th draft pick was always held out for Bowman for the following Bowman release that was just called Bowman. But now Tops is pretty inconsistent with it. Um, I know Jack Leader does not have a card yet, even though that would have been Bowman draft from 2021, I want to say. And I know like Heston Kajersad's year in 2020, he was seen as a reach for the Baltimore Orioles in order to have um, not so draft salary pool, not manipulation, but proper budgeting because they knew Heston Kajersad was going to sign a little bit less. But they having him as a chase for 20 for the following year's Bowman would not have been a very fun chase, even though he was a second all draft pick. So I've noticed, especially since 2020, there's been more exceptions to the number two and number 30 pick are held off. I know it was always number two, um, but now they just kind of select the chases, however it is. Khalil Watson being an intended chase this year, but they knew Bobby Witt was going to be a chase for Bowman because, and also any other real breakouts that happen are also usually saved for Bowman, like Jaron Duran. He was in, he was definitely in the double digits for what round he was taken in. So he was low enough to where he didn't have a card in Bowman draft wasn't really an international obviously wasn't an international guy either but some of these breakout type players are saved for the spring bowman release right that's interesting i'd never actually i don't know if i knew that that's that's cool but chrome, chrome international guys draft draft guys bowman the intentional and unintentional holdovers huh. yeah we know tops loves to uh fuck around with getting people to chase certain things and products by holding out yeah. maybe longer than they should uh <laughs> well Hayden, we've reached the best part of the episode for everybody, which is what are some recent cards you bought? What are some recent cards you sold? Uh, I'm going to let Max go first so that you can get your, your thoughts together, Hayden. Uh, Max, you got any recent buys on eBay? or? Uh, um, I can start too. Messing around a little bit in terms of buying from eBay. I'm on a, I've been on a massive cold streak ever since I came back from the Dallas card show. I don't, I think it was more of a mental thing anything because it's like oh wow there's so many great deals here well now i have to go back to paying full or near full online but i bought an albert pujols tops luminaries auto um thinking my thinking with luminaries and tops chrome black and tops pristine but tops pristine isn't ripped as much is to just get some cards out for grading and that's hard to go wrong with albert pujols ink i am what what is what is tops luminaries it's another one of those like breaker friendly products where all the cards are encased boo but it's albert Pujols signing his name yeah that's fine i'm, uh, I'm cool i'll allow it <laughs> yeah so and my rationale was i think it was like 3 a.m i just sent my best offer to like seven people on ebay my comment was this is my best and only offer thanks and most got rejected but one was taken and i made sure i was pretty at value with comps um I guess in addition, um, just some junky. I think the Hula Rodriguez Gator Brigade Bath, US 44 SP. Very cool card. Very fun card to grade. Um, that's a card. Um, but did you, buy, did you buy one? I bought one. I think I offered on like five more. I'm now still chasing it at auctions, but it's a cool card. And then, I, what, what does that go for? Because I am currently holding the Julio Gatorade Bath card, and that just seems like it's it's been not a- it's too cheap. In my opinion, right? It's been a know. rock solid, consistent two hundred bucks. Yeah, and like I don't Everything. know, Hayden, Hayden, are you in on Julio long term? What are your thoughts? Uh, I am in on Julio long term. Um, the ups, I mean, we've seen the upside. He just kind of has to be consistent about it. Um, I yeah. mean, yeah, the upside is a perennial MVP. Um, as a so. as a Griffey guy, are you are you seeing shades of Griffey, or is this a whole new 
phenomenon? Um, there are shades, just the way you can, you know, watching him play. He enjoys playing the game so much. He's got that big smile. Um, yeah. Power, speed, great defense, all that. So yeah, there are definitely some shades there. Um, and Seattle's lucky to have lucky to have J. Rock. Oh sure. yeah, they're definitely lucky. Seattle, not not the best franchise ever. Max, I, I saw you sold your Frank Robinson dual Machado auto. Yeah. Um, That's I it was quite literally a matter of I was in it for two hundred. I had it priced at five hundred on eBay, and I was able to get four hundred net for it. Um, so nice. I owned that card. I enjoyed that card. Um, I am now still kind of very lightly targeting Topps Heritage dual autos of eventual Hall of Famers because those are just cool cards. And it was time to go. I believe I shipped it off to Maryland. It's going to be in a good home. That's good. That's good to know. Um, Frank Robinson's my uh, target for 2023 vintage. I want to get some nice Frank Robinson stuff for sure. I've been – okay, I'll get into my vintage tangent in a moment. Last card I bought, which is cool – I bought a Michael Fulmer tops black rookie for from 2016 for 10 bucks. And that just goes, and I saw there was another one for like 1250 OBO, but I'm like, wow, Michael Fulmer is that cheap. I I think, I don't think he's ever been an all-star, but I was always, I remember seeing him traded away from the Mets. I'm a Yankees fan, but I'm like, wow, the Mets traded away another top pitching talent to them run on to win, win rookie of the year. But that's going to go into the top black rookie binder page, which is cool because cards are rare. And that's like the performance to rarity spec. You know, the ratio on that is in my favor in that transaction. For sure. It's also a good good for the listeners who are playing the drinking game back home to be able to take a shot when you mentioned the the, the black parallels. So I'm glad you did. (laughs) um all right hayden you're on the hot seat now what what uh what did you buy and then we'll let max do his vintage tangent after we hear okay. what you're up to. great well this will be a good segue into max's uh vintage tangent um so a couple of my more recent pickups were um uh callback to 2008 tops this being 2008 tops update um i picked up a pair a set of raw a one raw kershaw rookie and a raw scherzer rookie Nice. Um, now, when I was a kid going through my cards and I found all the Vados, I was like, what is 2008? Where are the Kershaws? Where are the Scherzers? That's yeah. where the money is. Only an update. Yeah. Only an update. And uh, there was not a single Kershaw Scherzer oh. in my uh, collection as a kid. Um, Luckily, my dad always was buying me updates. So I have all those update rookies except for yeah. Trout. Trout's the only one I don't have. Like, literally, the only update rookie <laughs> I don't have from like 2002 to like 2015. The only one I don't have is Trout, but I have all the other ones. But yeah, I feel your I feel your pain though because I was also hoping to like I was like, damn, if I have this curse, I wish I pulled like a gold because I pulled like I pulled a black two thousand eight tops like update card of a rando. But I was like, man, if that was a Kershaw, if I, if I had the luck in my favor back in the day. Come on, didn't, didn't you pull a? You have a Mad Bum black? Yeah, I, I pulled that's, a Mad that's Bum a huge black. Pull. That's crazy. Yeah, see, I, I had nothing like that. Yeah, yeah I, I, do, I do think the topic that we were getting to earlier in the episode of like the coolest cards that you pulled that you were kind of worth something. For me, that was I talked about like how I got into it in like late middle school, early high school again. I had a Mookie Betts Chrome update and a Jacob DeGrom Chrome update, which I ended up grading and then selling at near the beginning of the pandemic, but not late enough into the pandemic because I was like, I'd be stupid not to sell these now. These are worth. These are not worth three hundred dollars. These cards are not worth that much. They're just Chrome rookie cards. I got to make. You know, I could buy back in later. And but when I was a little bit younger, I found in my binder was a Mike Trout twenty twelve Allen Ginter. I believe it was the full size. It wasn't a mini, and that was also sent out during my first grading sub in like twenty nineteen. But it wasn't a rookie. Is rookie year, as we yeah. will argue semantically over, but it was his first Alan Ginter card. And I think I had ended up grading it as a 10 and I sold it for like three, four hundred dollars, which was certainly worth more then than it is now. But that was my really only like, oh wow, I pulled this from when I was a kid and it's now worth some money. Fuck you that you're polls from a kid or PSA 10 conditions because yeah, that was not the, that's not the, the case for me. I told you I, grade, <laughs> I graded some of my Pokemon, which was when I was really a kid from like 
you know, six or seven years old. And the two Charizards that I graded came back eights. That's still pretty good. Yeah. It's good, too. So All right. We interrupted, though. Hey, now I want to hear what you bought. Um, okay, so I the most recent were the two uh, 08 update, uh, Kershaw and Scherzer. Um, I picked up a couple uh, just cheaper. So uh, one of the things that I do like t- try to consistently collect are I like cheaper end of the spectrum 90s Griffey inserts. Um, so if I want to spend some time on eBay, just like scrolling, um, that's kind of the area where I kind of gravitate towards. So I picked up a couple of those. Generally they're in like the five to $20 range. Which, which ones did you get? Um, I got a tops. Um, you know what? I have it. Uh, it is a 97 tops Griffey, uh, bleacher reachers. Oh, I've seen those. Those are cool. Yes. Those are cool. Inserts. Yeah. That's is that a refractor? Um, it is not a refractor, but it is. It's like a base. Um, it's a base card, but it is a refractor. Exactly. And that's yeah. what I like to go after because this was like $5. And, yeah. And it looks like a refractor and it's cool. Um, yeah, that's fire. Yeah. What it, What's your best Griffey in your collection right now? Um, it would definitely be the 98 uh, SP Chirography um, Auto. Yeah, that I you sent a picture of that to us. That is a very fun yeah. auto. Um, um, I, do you have yeah. any? Do you have any like true refractors though, or anything like that from the late nineties? I don't. I don't have anything big like that yet. That's on the list of things that I want to acquire in the future. Just like a nineties, not like low, super low numbered because those go for crazy money. But um, something even numbered in like the hundreds um, refractor, I would be happy with with grabbing a Griffey. Um, so That'd that's be, on the list. Those are fire cards always. Uh, I'll do my one quick buy of the week, and then I want to hear some vintage talk before we sign off. I'm allowing this episode to go longer because it actually is worthy of going a longer episode. <laughs> I have four one-hour episodes every week. Yeah, I know you are. But my one buy that I'll talk about for a sec is a I bought a, a 2012 Prism Silver for the first time. I bought a Andrew Bogut 2012 Prism Silver for 20 bucks free shipping. Um, considering that that set has really low print runs and i don't know i haven't i had i realized when i was going through my cards that i don't own any 2012 prism like refractor or prisms in it for lack of a better word so i was like i need to get one and this was a good price and i was like you know bogut underrated member of the warriors finals run so i wanted to pick up something cool for him and that was what was available uh random basketball tangent in a fully baseball episode (laughs) but but uh all right max Real quick, Hayden, you are a big vintage collector, and I want to know where do you go online for information about vintage cards, and like how do you educate yourself? And we're also where do you go to buy? Vintage? And where do you go to buy? So, um, yeah, uh, so kind of going back, I got into vintage because um, I wanted something stable during the season and all that, and that's kind of where I gravitated towards. Um, I get my info from one. I mean, it's just it comes down to like just knowing like the big names, like the pretty much liquidity in vintage is kind of important to me as a collector. Um, you know, I'll collect my mazes, but um, it's more so a way for vintage for me to trade my modern into vintage. And then at any time I want be able to get out of, get out of the vintage for cash. I've found that I can move vintage at or close to comps a lot easier and quicker than any modern cards that um that i've had and that's kind of something i I realized a little over a year ago and that's kind of what jump-started my consolidation from modern trout otani acuna soto into um some bigger vintage cards um I do want to shout out uh, Burbank Cards for allowing me to trade into a ton of vintage cards. Um, and uh, I learned a lot from uh, Showcase Rick. Who oh, I know Showcase is, Rick. He's nice. Showcase Rick uh, is a big vintage guy. And I, um, I would go in there and he would always bring me to like the new vintage stuff that hasn't even been put out yet. And um, he, you know, I would, he was just have all the information in the world that, you know, any question I had about these cards, whether it was white backs versus gray backs or um, shorter printed versions, like the 
uh, 69, I believe, mantle with white lettering as opposed to yellow lettering, stuff like that, um, is he yeah. was a wealth of knowledge. I, I actually um, hate in, uh, when I was at my girlfriend's over Thanksgiving, her dad had a whole box of cards and it was all 67 through 71 in tops baseball. Uh-huh. And he had, he had the white letters mantle. Oh, wow. Which, which was like, he bought it for maybe like, you know, pennies. <laughs> pennies and like, I, I being able to break like good vintage news to someone i feel like is pretty rare so that was a i was hyped about that was did you yeah. use the robotics app to identify it as a white letter mantle uh we're still that's a little tough because it's just so dependent Ooh. on lighting it's so Ooh, dependent on give lighting. You the plug. Give uh, you i'll i'm will happily explain to you the minute differences that fuck up our app sometimes but you know mostly we're pretty good one of the ones that we're having trouble with is 08 tops gold foils because lighting just has to be so perfect for you to be able to tell which one that is anyway i don't i'm too deep in the database um so you go to burbank a lot burbank's a great shop max you have not been there though right i've not damn well i'm a huge fan of burbank and i mean what a place to be able to go to like i wish i had a resource like that that i could just hit up on the regular yeah, you know, it was definitely a big resource in terms of me um, being able to get rid of cards that I don't want and don't want to have the hassle of trying to sell to people and <laughs> push on to people where they'll they'll take it for a respectable trade value. Um, and then I can then, you know, go out and grab the vintage from there. And then, like I said, I've, I've had a lot of a lot more success moving vintage on Twitter, Facebook um, than uh, than modern. So to answer Max's question though, like where, where are you buying other than Burbank? Are you, do you buy vintage online? I know you're kind of in Facebook a little bit. Um, yeah. So in terms of my buying for vintage, um, I'd say it's mostly at shows. Uh, right now I'm, I'm training, kind of getting ready for spring training. So I am not really going to a ton of shows right now. Um, but a few months ago, right after the season ended, I was, going to some shows. I was at the Burbank show. Uh, I went out, made it out to Dallas back in uh, November. Um, and I did do some buying of vintage, mostly kind of like bulk deals, even though I've found that, uh, the older kind of demographic for who has vintage at shows, they are not willing to kind of sell even like, I'm not asking for like 65, 70%, you know, I'm willing to pay pretty strong if, if I'm getting multiples, but a lot of them are either priced way high or uh, not willing to move. But, you know, I'll go around, I'll grind it out, and I'll, and I'll get some deals on Vintage eventually. That's cool. Uh, I actually just remembered, Hayden, our first deal me and you did together. I traded you a 1959 Yogi Berra or 58? Yes. yes. Um, I traded you a 59 Yogi Berra for about, for like four or five, like Mad Bum Prospect numbered cards or something. That's um, right. That was a great trade because uh, – it's a rare situation where I'd kind of like come into that card just kind of randomly. And I just uh-huh. was like, this is great condition. Um, you reached out, I think, to just because I posted it for a trade or something. And I had a bunch of people sending me some nonsense. And you were like, oh, I have these like pretty legit Mad Bum like prospect cards that were pretty cool. So I was like, yeah, a couple of them were numbered. Yeah, they were. Yeah. There was an auto. It was like legit shit. So I was like, you know what? I don't want this Yogi Bear card. Someone is going to get lucky grading this probably. Got a PSA 4 it's looking like right now. Pretty nice yeah. card. Um, it is nice. Yeah. So that was our first trade, which I think is always kind of random because like trading vintage for modern, you can go, it can usually so, the person trading for the modern is taking a big L, but like in this situation, Madma careers are basically over. I'm like, this is good for my collection. I get a vintage, cool vintage card. You said you like the Yogi Berra. Um, yeah. I want to give a quick shout out to Grady Sizemore as just a player that we bonded over initially. Yes. Uh, someone that I would have bought, I would have bought 1 million Grady Sizemore yes. cards if I had the budget in 2006. So thank you. Would have been right there with you. Thanks to my parents for not letting me go on eBay when I was a kid. Um, (laughs) Max, do you have any final thoughts on vintage before we sign off here? Um, So much of it is based off eye appeal and eye appeal is both extremely subjective and also so scientific. And I am progressively going down the rabbit hole of trying to learn it. I've watched others buy vintage. I have bid on some vintage cards myself and lost and at this point at least in my learning curve um i feel kind of comfortable being able to buy 50s cards of like mantle maze and some of the other bigger guys but 
I, it's still such a learning curve. Um, I think I tweeted out once. It's like, okay, what's like the easiest way to learn vintage? And I think like the most interesting and compelling response that responded a few times was watch Ken Burns baseball, which is on my to-do list, but it is just such a long documentary. It's, it's very long. Yeah. I've assigned it as homework for myself, both so that I get educated both in cards as well as for baseball, but it is such a steep learning curve. I understand you learn by doing and you learn by being interested, but I'm having a blast, even though it hasn't materialized literally and figuratively. Um, yeah. what, uh, what cards were you bidding on at Heritage? I had my eyes on specifically on, uh, there were four cards that I got into the extended bidding with. The first was a PSA 1 1951 Bowman Willie Mays. Um, there were a few creased copies that of PSA 1s that were like really badly creased that were doing like 4,500. And I thought the IP on this one and the color was a little bit better. So I really wanted to snag it at like the 3.5 to $4,000 range, given the creased comps were higher. That would have been your biggest buy of all time, though, right? That would but be my biggest buy of all time. Yeah. And also, it's such a sick card. Yeah. And also, like, but also the rationale of, like, okay, okay, I can price this higher. I can go into this with a flip mindset. And as well, that means I get to enjoy the card for free for as long as I own it, you know? For free. Um, I ended up pushing it to 4.2, and that was just my max. And I just could not beat it to where it made financial sense. Did it sell also, for 4.2? It sold for 4.2. Heritage is, like, evil in that their extended bidding starts at 11 and i try to wait out the full clock i was sleepy at like 12 30 a.m bidding on this that's uh -huh. a real disaster but yeah. i held myself back um the second i guess two copies of this card i was looking at was a 1952 bowman mickey mantle there was one graded a psa3 and one graded an sgc3 and i was looking at both the sgc3 had my opinion was both better centered and better eye appeal, but I think both of them ended at 2,500. There was a PSA three sale at 2.8 and P SGC three sales at 2.2. Oddly enough, I was looking at a lot of SGC. Actually, no, the maze was an SGC one. It was not a PSA one. Okay. That I was no SGC one. Okay. It was an SGC one, not a PSA one. And I was looking through it and I'm like, wow, this card is really cool. I like the eye appeal of the mantle better. But I just couldn't push it. It didn't make enough sense for me to push it that far. And yeah. that bummed me out. That was, and then the third card I was looking at of four total cards was a 52 tops Jackie Robinson. It was, nice. it was either PSA one or SGC one. I forget. Probably was SGC one and presented really, really, really good color. There was just an obscene amount of paper loss on the back. No. And I think the SGC one was doing a few hundred higher than the recent PSA ones that were worse. Like this card looked phenomenal, but I don't, again, as a novice, I didn't know if I could be able to justify PSA two pricing, which was like 6,000 or so yeah. or yeah. under that, or there's so much like if this, then that, which I think yeah. is phenomenal with cards yeah. like that. But I pushed that with 3,500 the enjoyment factor as well. I knew that I would enjoy owning a maze and a mantle more than a Jackie. So that yeah. kind of emotionally made me push it less. But I went 0 for 4 that night. I missed out on both mantles, the maze and the Robinson. I thought the maze was most realistic and I was probably heaviest on that. But it just didn't work out. I will now be at least having the goal of looking at 50s cards when I go to my very vintage heavy local, local area. And I like that I at least have a little bit more of a framework of trying to get lower grade copies of all time greats in the 50s. Because I know the 60s cards, they're more in, there's a lot more copies of them. There's a lot more little grade copies. And trying to sell a PSA 7, a PSA 8, 60s mantle, I don't know if I can pitch that as well. And I feel, I, my gut feels like the liquidity and interest level isn't there as much as it is a literal Billy Mays rookie card. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, you're going for the rookie cards, which is classic cards max uh, focus, but... Um, Not the 52 tops, the 51 Bowmans. I will I will say, shout out card shows as a way to figure out information about vintage cards if you ask dealers. Yeah. Some vintage dealers will be kind of douchey, but some of them will like literally like open up their entire, entire brain to you about like 
a specific weird set or like variation of something. So highly recommend approaching vintage dealers at shows and asking them about cards that you think are cool in their case. But Max, I'm cutting you off. I'm cutting you off because I got to no, take no, a piss. No, it is, it is too really, long. It's, it's relevant. It's relevant. Okay. All right. Last thought though. Last, last thought. Last thought. Okay. So Mickey Mantle, top 52, card of the hobby. Obviously our price is the 51 Bowman rookie card. But to my surprise, when I was, I learned this when bidding last night, most 51 Bowman copies of made are more expensive than 52 tops. Card. Correct. Yeah. It doesn't hold for maze the same way that I, I did, had no idea. Cause I just assumed the 52 tops iconicness carried over, but it didn't. All right. Hayden, last thought. Why is that the case? Why is maze's 51 Bowman more um, appreciated the, than mantles? The, the 52 mantle is just so entrenched in not only the hobby, but pop culture in itself, that the image itself is so iconic that it transcends any sort of rookie card uh, bearing that we as people in the hobby give it because yeah, the 51 Bowman is the true rookie card. It's his, it's his rookie, but the 52 tops is the first tops card. Um, doesn't apply to maze, but uh, yeah, it's just the image, the likeness, the transcendence of pop culture, the Hudson um, river. Yeah. But uh, that's a, I, that's a good clip for me to end on here. I'll be able to clip that part out as like a little nice vintage piece. Project but. 2020. Yay or nay. Nay, I have three full boxes of Project 2020. <laughs> so at some point, at some point you were in, but now we're very out. Um, well, <laughs> we can, I don't know how much I like ending on this, but um, no, I didn't <laughs> buy all of them. Who was the guy that was slanging 2020 to people and oh, then like on, didn't on fulfill? Twins Jake? Yes. Um, so I bought two from him, just like two, like a Jeter and like a Maguire. Um, and he never, I paid, he, he never sent them to me. And then he got back to everybody like a year later. Um, I kind of just, you know, was just like, okay, I got, you know, I got, got whatever. And he was like, Hey man, like he sends me two full boxes of project 2020 cards. And I just don't, I was like, what am I going to do with these? Um, so they're just full of, I don't, I didn't, I haven't even looked at them. It's pretty much, you know, like firewood at this well, point. Blame, blame Max for ending on such a bad topic, but um, Hayden, prints of rookie cards. We'll definitely have to have you on again, Hayden. Uh, <laughs> yeah. After this season, after you you know do your thing and are back into your collecting mindset for a little bit, but I really appreciate you coming on and like taking so much time to talk to us about everything about your collecting and your you know your profession as well. I think that a lot of people find that super interesting. And yeah, you know, still not a sports analytics podcast though. No, 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 never, but we will always be adjacent. So we will have to embrace that sometimes, but sure. um, we'll see everybody next week. Uh, make sure to follow Hayden on Twitter at throne Ched. Um, we'll tag him and everything on our Twitter. So make sure to just check that out. And uh, yeah, uh, if you liked anything, you know, if you want to reach out to us, you know, you always can on our social media as well. Max, you have any last words? Cards forever. Cards. Cards. <laughs>